0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, lift off. Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkInsports.com, and this is the WorkInsports Podcast. Recovery starts with innovation. I read this the other day and thought, that really sounds a lot like what my grandmother used to tell me when she'd cobble some new, fandangled way of plowing her garden fields with a series of hoes tied to the back of her 1940s-era tractor. Never short for an analogy or cliché, she'd look at me and repeat, necessity is the mother of all invention. That saying is always stuck in my mind. Where there is need, there are creative solutions. Never before have we faced more need. And never before have innovative minds been more in demand. As teams and leagues and organizations look to pivot and change their revenue models to adapt to a new world, the innovative people in every organization are the ones leading the way to the future. That is not hyperbolic or overly dramatic. We need innovation. We need a new way to look at our games, our stadiums, our fans, our revenue streams, our products, our marketing. Everything needs a fresh set of eyes. I booked today's guest, Josh Walker, president of Sports Innovation Lab, because multiple people in my sphere of influence pinged me and said, hey, did you read Josh's article on how the sports industry will recover? It's fascinating. The article was pushed at me from multiple angles, from people I respect with excitement and fervor that I just couldn't deny. So I read it and immediately thought, I got to get Josh on the show. Now, the crazy thing is, Josh, the scribe responsible for this forward-thinking piece, developed the concept of recovery before there was a need for recovery. See, Josh is this kind of futurist we need more of in sports, the ones who can utilize data and research and intuition to see where the industry needs to go rather than where it is. He's the president of Sports Innovation Lab, who, along with his co-founders, former NFL linebacker Isaiah Kazavinsky and former Olympian and four-time gold medal winner Angela Ruggiero, developed a fluid fan concept that sees sports in a way that earns the fans' loyalty rather than expects it. He and I conducted this interview back in June, and it's been one of my favorite episodes to date. And I keep going back to it and thinking, these keys are, now that we're coming into recovery, now that the sports industry is changing again, these keys are more important than ever. These trends, these ideas, these concepts, they weren't just for the year that we were on hold with coronavirus. They are for our future, and it's time to look back at this interview with fresh set of eyes, knowing what we know now, because there's some really, really cool concepts in here we can all apply to the way we think about the sports industry and move forward. You'll see what I mean. Here's Josh. Hey, Josh, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. And as we were talking a little bit before we got this started, there's so many interesting things you're doing as part of Sports Innovation Lab and looking towards the future of what sports will look like. I want to get into your background. I want to talk about Sports Innovation Lab, but let's start with some of the big stuff first. You wrote an article on LinkedIn back in April about what recovery may look like for the sports industry. And I found it fascinating. Like I, I really, I paged through it like three times trying to really understand all the nuance on it, in it. So there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to talk about here. So let's, we'll, we'll take it kind of slow. You state early on that this crisis will fundamentally reshape how the sports industry operates and generates revenue. And I think all of us in the sports industry can say, can read that and say, well, yeah, things are going to change. But in a specific way, How do you see this current situation reshaping the way the sports industry operates?
1: Well, I think there's, first of all, a real understanding in the industry that what COVID has brought to the table is an acceleration of trends that were already happening. Um, That's true for a number of different industries, but it's certainly true for sports. When you look at what the Sports Innovation Lab has been doing over the last three years, we've been trying to convince our clients that it's time to start looking at models like Fortin and media convergence and the way that young people and just consumers in general are using the confluence of different technologies. You know, voice, gaming consoles, social, digital, all that stuff is coming together. And when it comes together, it creates a new experience, a new type of product, a new thing to buy, a new thing to experience with your friends and your family. And the sports industry has largely ignored that. And and I'm not afraid to say that they've pretty much buried their heads in the sand to that major trend. And the reason is because they make money from linear broadcast. Mm-hmm. They make a ton of money from linear broadcast. Most of the money that the industry relies on comes from selling the rights of games and matches to broadcasters and broadcasters in turn sell those, you know, broadcasts and those live streams to advertisers. And that is the thing that COVID has really shined a light on, which is when that goes away, when that enthusiasm of having a live broadcast with thousands and thousands of fans cheering and screaming really feels less exciting, you don't have as a compelling a product. And so that's what we think is fundamentally gonna change. It's going to really force these executives to pay attention to the media convergence that's happening elsewhere in entertainment.
0: Yeah, I think this is so fascinating because we've all talked about, you know, all of us who are have been in the industry for a long time are saying to ourselves, oh, when, when the games come back, people will just come flooding back. And it's is this almost optimist point of view, like, oh, everybody needs sports and sports, everybody will just rush back out there. And I mean, it sounds like the the, A lot of us are also in the back of our minds having a little bit more of a pessimist attitude and saying like, well, maybe people won't flock back the same way. And maybe we need to look at this differently. You know, we, we, we you, you hit on the, na- the nail on the head there, I think, too, in that. I come from a background where you, you make the sports industry as simple as possible, right? That, that there's two main experiential avenues. You either watch the game in the stadium or you watch the game at home, and then the, 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 the revenue streams run parallel to that. You either are okay. getting the money out of the broadcast media deals or you're getting money out of the tickets and sponsorship sales. Like It's pretty simple, right? Keep it, keep it simple. But what you guys are talking about is this concept of a fluid fan And I think that's fascinating. So can you explain it to us a little bit on what this concept means?
1: Yeah, the fluid fan is a fan that's different than your diehard fan. And if you want to think about the traditional sports fan as that fan who will become a fan because his dad or his mom was a fan, because he grew up in a certain place, because generationally you've always been that fan, um, and you'll be that fan till the day you die. Um, That identity doesn't really compute when it comes to media consumption or buying patterns. So I call myself a Yankees fan. I grew up in New York and I've been a diehard Yankees fan my entire life, but I don't watch the games. I don't buy as much merch from the Yankees. And I'm certainly a little bit more open to watching other forms of entertainment than I would when the games are on. And so the fluid fan is not a generational thing. It's not just the young, you know, Gen Xers or Gen Ys or Gen Zs or any sort of demographic you want to put on these people, it's a pattern of behavior we've learned because we're using our cell phones, we're using voice technology, we're using game consoles, we're using Netflix. We have more choice and more options than ever before. So we expect to be able to create a sports experience that mirrors our interests. And Fluid fans look for those opportunities. They look for opportunities to control their viewing experience, create highlights, be part of the action in new ways. And they're not just going to put their butts in a hard plastic seat and sit there for four hours.
0: Yeah, that is definitely the shift. And I want to get into the details of that soon. Um, So it sounds like you had this concept Considered before COVID, and this just amplified it. Is that accurate? Like oh, you were, you were one hundred percent accurate. Yeah, yes, yeah, so you seeing has been seeing
1: this around for three and a half years, and we started with the mindset that um, our CEO Angela Ruggiero, four-time Olympian, MBA from Harvard, uh, really smart woman who was on the IOC um, executive board, and tried to push sports forward a number of different ways. Um, was tired of sitting in a room and having people make decisions because they knew somebody who knew. Somebody. somebody. Um, nobody was using data. Nobody was using research or insights or best practices to push the industry forward. So she said, um, it's time to change the game. And she really built a team around her. Um, and we have done this together to say, it's time to really inform the industry on the best ways to create breakthrough fan experiences, breakthrough fan experiences, not just new fan experiences um, that changed the way that people buy and consume sports. So, yes, this was around for a while. It's a very long answer to a very simple question, but it's a it's an acceleration of something that we've got the whole industry thinking about. Um, and it's really now time to get acting on some of the things that we've been suggesting.
0: OK, so let's talk about that, because you're establishing what the fluid fan is. And I understand it. It's a it's a it makes a lot of sense. But how does an org if a, if a fan is fluid? Again, makes sense. And every demographic, every area of the country, every team is probably having differences in those fluid fans. Every fan is somewhat different. How do they best understand their own fluid fans? How do they understand their behavior? How do they kind of narrow down and understand what it is that they want and need and define their audience in a way that can create breakthrough experiences?
1: It's such an important and valuable question. And when you reached out, I I chose to do this conversation with you because of your audience. Um, It starts first and foremost by bringing in new people, people that don't think the way that the industry has always thought. And I know that sounds simple, but it's not. The way that people get jobs in sports, it's a very exclusive club, right? You either know somebody in the industry, you get an intern because your parents know somebody, and you finally get into the organization and you stay as an intern, you work your way up, and then next thing you know, 30 years later, you're running the place. Right, That is the way that sports has cultivated talent over the years. Mm -hmm. What it begins with, with understanding the fluid fan begins with, is thinking differently, seeking out information that doesn't live within the four walls of your organization. And because these teams, because leagues have been so exclusive, because they've been so insular in the way that they get recommendations from other people. They've never sought out those independent sources of, you know, research and data that could inform them of new patterns that are emerging with their fan base and how to change their products. So I really encourage all of our clients, whether it's regional, national, global, to think about how they bring in these new you know, types of thinkers, but also these new sources of information so that they can learn more about what their fans are actually doing and not just talk in terms of broad fan engagement. The thing that we can go into, and again, it's a much longer conversation, is how the industry over depends on this concept of fan engagement. Everybody says it. you've been in the industry long enough, Brian, I'm sure you've heard it a million times. We want our fans to be engaged. Well, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. What What does engaged mean? Like, when are they engaged? Can you picture when they're engaged? Are you making money when they're engaged? What are you doing to make sure they're engaged? What technology do you invest in to make sure fans are engaged? Those are the kind. The provocative things you need to be asking yourself to get a better understanding of the fluid fan. So how do you
0: get the answers to these questions, though? Because I feel like this is, you're right, fan engagement is something we've tried to measure and talk about. And and through social, we talk about analytics through likes and shares, and it seems extremely superficial. Matter of fact, my wife works in a more traditional business world, Fortune 100 type company, and she, for 20 years, she's been saying like, why doesn't the sports industry use more like data driven decision making like we do in the business world? And so why is that? Why is the sports world been so slow other than analytics from a player of an analysis situation? Why? Why has the sports world been slower to use data and research in order to force their business decisions in, in a direction like this and be more agile? It seems like a softball question
1: um, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's largely because they've always been owned by billionaires who um, buy these teams because of their hobbies or because they're interested in doing something, you know, regional or they want, you know, it's ego driven or something like that. It's not a business. They've never run these like businesses. In fact, if you look at the org charts of most of the teams and leagues, and even if you get into the federations, it, it just doesn't make sense the way they're organized. They don't have groups that focus on consumers. It was a big headline the other month when I think it was just two months ago when the NBA finally had a director of fan experience. Like, you know, it's like, that's like breaking news. It's like, we're going to pay attention to our consumers holy cow, like, think yeah. about that. <laughs> you know, if you go to Walmart, if you go to Amazon, if you go to Google, all they do is obsess about what their consumers want, test, they, they have concepts of A-B testing, which is you put one product in front of one group, you put another product in front of another group, you see how they react, you do it again, that kind of discipline and and that kind of skill set really hasn't been developed in sport.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating sometimes to really dig into it because you realize how almost superficial our our industry has been for a very long time. Okay, so you talked about this convergence. Sorry, you sound like you want to jump in there. Go.
1: No, no, no. I was just going to say it's a little bit depressing, too, because sports is so important. Um, And part of the reason that we built the Sports Innovation Lab is because we believe fundamentally that the... Sports does hold a place in society. So you said earlier, like, will fans come rushing back? They absolutely will come rushing back. Will they stay is the challenge in front of the industry, right? right? There was a narrative before COVID that we were losing attendance at live events for certain leagues and certain properties. It, it's not new, right? That's right. been going on. So how do we bring sports back? back, but make it better than it was. Um, And that's the goal of using data and research and best practices to guide your decisions.
0: Well, and that's where, if you ask me, baseball keeps stepping on their own feet and and tripping over themselves, is that they have become, unfortunately, so outdated for this world with the games that take forever, the seasons that are super long, the the, the non-interactive nature of their stadiums and events and places, and it just seems like that is the... I don't know, the, the, the dinosaur in the, in the four, um, or, or of the, all the leagues, of all the opportunities out there in sports, is that baseball has moved slower than the Titanic. Well, when you
1: put baseball next to the NFL and major uh, and the NBA, they get a bad rap. Uh, because those other leagues really experiment with, you know, startups and technology more aggressively than MLB. Yeah. Um, they just make better headlines about that. But MLB, you know, to their credit, were the ones who created, you know, BAM and did all the, you know, mobile stuff first. And they have PitchFX. And so they they just haven't executed the way that they need to to change the format, perhaps, of their sport yeah. because they're so tied to the history and you know, that audience that wants to compare Babe Ruth with, you know, Aaron
0: judge. (laughs) It's so true. It's like, ah, sometimes you got to break free of tradition and move (laughs) things forward into the future, but that's a whole nother (laughs) subject. Um, So, okay, let's talk about the convergence. you talked about uh, as part of your article, you talked about the convergence of the fluid fan studio, a, a kind of sweet spot where that idea of the broadcast media, the social media and the event itself kind of overlap. And it's, it's a, like, like a cool looking Venn diagram where you kind of see where those three things kind of um, converge, obviously. OK, so. Yeah. But how does a does an organization that's rooted in their game day experience or their media experience or their digital experiences, which operate often as separate silos? How do they get to a place where they start to understand how to converge these things together and kind of cater to that perfect persona in their audience. What's the approach? Well, this,
1: this is this is a whole nother podcast because it's really about you know creative disruption and innovation and the theories that business school students think about when they have to start doing something different while they keep their existing business model running, um, you know, we'd be fools to walk into any of these organizations and say, stop putting stuff on TV, linear broadcast is dead, go do this thing. Right. So what this advice is really about is leave your existing silos in place. Broadcast is working fine, it needs to innovate, you can do cooler things on broadcast. You have that team, keep doing that. You've got your social team. You've got your digital team. They're starting to engage people on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram. Keep doing that because those people are really good at their jobs. And then you have your live events people. They know how to hand out product samples. They know how to do really cool signage. They can shoot that, you know, T-shirt cannon anywhere they want. They're (laughs) great at that stuff. But you need a new group. And this new group we're calling the Fluid Fan Studio. And it's a simple organizational structure that cherry-picks from those three silos to bring together people that have production, live production skills, right? The kind of people that know what music to play at the right time, what graphics to display, what calls to action get people to do something on their phone, and it puts them into a area where they can start talking about how that event is being broadcast, distributed on social, and experienced in the venue at the same time, and only good things can happen from that. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this industry has been talking about the second screen experience, right? Like, oh, well, you got the thing that's happening on TV and then we'll hit them on their phone with this. And then, you know, if they wind up going to the game, we'll do this. It's like, no, those are those are not three separate things. That's a fan that wants to control their experience and move through a, a live experience that touches people. They may want to like, be part of that fan in the stadium. They might be home, but they might want to feel like they're in the stadium. That's all the innovation that's being talked about now in COVID, right? Because they want to, they can't go. The the whole theory about how games come back is fans aren't allowed in the stadium. But how do you feel like you're part of the stadium? Well, why haven't we figured that out yet? You know, nobody gets to go to the Olympics, why haven't we figured out how to make people feel like they're at the Olympics yet? We have digital technology. We have mobile technology. We have smart cameras. We have augmented reality. Why aren't we doing that stuff yet? So the FluidFans studio tries to focus on that opportunity.
0: So give us, some, give us some examples. I have to imagine that there's some organizations that are hearing you say things like this, partners of yours, teams you work with, whoever, who are hearing you say this and saying, I'm on board. Let's let's start working this. So g- give us some ideas yeah. of how this actually looks in practice. Like, what does it actually yeah, come B- out look like?
1: Bundesliga is a perfect example, right? Bundesliga, um, German soccer league, trying to come back without fans, yep. um, did car- cardboard cutouts of their fans in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Right? So everybody was like, oh, this is smart. This is clever. Everybody gets to see themselves sitting in the stands. Okay. And it was. It was a great idea. And they're innovative enough. They're thinking about how now do they take that to the next level? How do they make those cardboard cutouts feel digital? Yeah. So do they put cameras on them? Do they um, swap them out? Do some of them change to become a TIFO, which is that... You know, huge banner that you see in European soccer and international soccer, where all the fans hold up the cards at the same time. That is starting to converge the idea of we're taking an at home audience that's watching on broadcast, putting them in the venue, giving them activation and audio and visual in the stadium. They're going to pump in crowd noise. And some of these tricks sound very, you know, simple, but why haven't we done them yet, right? Why hasn't the fan who's sitting at home on their couch who couldn't afford the ticket? feel like they're part of that stadium. And COVID is accelerating the thinking that goes into giving somebody the agency to use their phone to put their picture up on the jumbotron or to have their voice heard and singing along with, you know, tens of thousands of other fans that are in the venue. Those are the kinds of things that a fluid fan studio and innovative thinking in this media production world are starting to tackle.
0: It's crazy. Um, it's, oh,
1: it's really, yeah. I mean, it's really just like, it, it seems simple. People be like, well, yeah, that's not that hard. It is hard because those are very different types of skills that have to come together to deliver that experience.
0: So quickly, in 1996, when I was first getting into the sports industry, I had my background was in the sports media. That's what I wanted to get into. And I remembered having pangs of doubt at the last minute because there were all these articles and conversations about people being able to produce their own TV show their own broadcast like if you wanted to watch mm-hmm. a Cowboys football game you would be able to sit from home and decide what camera angles you wanted to see you'd be able to pick from an allotment of cameras and watch it the way you wanted to and switch the game your own way and I remember thinking oh my gosh am I getting into a field that's going to be dead in five years because people are going to do it themselves and this was 25 years ago and we've never right. got we've never gotten there to this experience and I always think like why wasn't that done you know why didn't they say we've got 50 cameras at the at the at the arena at the stadium at the event whatever it is let's let the people choose what they see and I, I always thought like some of these experiences that you could make from home would be incredible and yet so many haven't been realized so if you worked at Blockbuster
1: you'd be asking yourself the same question why didn't we start <laughs> our own OTT channel right yeah, like exactly. large industries get beholden to traditional you know revenue models business models and they don't innovate because they're fat and happy and the executives that are making decisions today feel like by the time they're gone and they've gotten all their money out of the the thing, if it dies, it dies. Um, It's a sad um, commentary on human motivation. It's like, why would you start eating away at the thing that's been feeding you so well because you feel like the future is uncertain? And that's exactly what innovation requires. It requires the discipline to start building the future while you're operating in the current environment. And so we're... We just did a hackathon, Brian, and I'm telling you probably, you know, out of the 30 ideas we got, five to ten of them were exactly what you just called you you just described crowd crowd controlled twitch like experiences where people could stream their own media version of the game where they could either create their own highlights control the cameras um, do their own commentary whatever it was every fan still pictures themselves as Tony Romo calling the game or or as the camera guy on the sideline that takes the sickest shot of the catch Um, and they want to be able to you know be like, Hey, I knew where he was going to throw the ball and I captured it on my camera. Like there's just the ability to be like, I'm the smartest sports fan in the world. That's why fantasy sports took off.
0: One hundred percent. I'm still amazed. This hasn't happened. Matter of fact, every time that I'm watching football and they have an instant replay I'm thinking I don't want to watch what they're telling me to watch. I want to I want to be able to scroll back slowly. I want to be able to look at a different angle. I want to be able to see this through my own lens. And so that's that whole interactive. I mean we always talk about how oh, TVs have gotten so big and the pictures gotten so clear and that's why people stay home and it's like, well, let's make that experience even better then. Let's go further, you know. And, and yeah, I get fired up with this stuff yeah. too.
1: Well, I get fired up too, but I think that the thing mistake most people make is like it's like, well, that doesn't mean the big TV goes away. Right. That's yeah. a that's a a passive viewing experience some days I just want to sit down with a beer watch the game but there's other days where I'm like, oh, man, I'm all in on this. And yeah. I'm trying to clip highlights of people because I'm like, this guy's going off. He's got a hot hand. This woman's breaking new speed records. I want to make sure I'm the one who has the player tracking data on her. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. just, like, there's different modes of fandom. And the concept of the fluid fan is you're not one type of fan. Yeah, You move through modes of fandom. Some days you're a creator. Some days you're passive. Some days you're social. Some days you're betting. You're competitive. Like, you, you will engage with different media and different sports properties in different ways. And the broadcasters and the digital guys need to be able to accommodate those needs.
0: So in the last year, I've been to a couple of the new stadiums and specifically Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta and uh, State Farm Arena down there in Atlanta. And they've both been redesigned or new. And it, it feels like they've changed the construction in a way of the of the stadiums and arenas as a whole to say, we don't even expect our fans to come with a ticket and just sit in their seat the entire time we expect them to have these little micro communities and opportunities around the arena and stadium to be entertained in different ways so that feels like it pivots into what you're talking about are some of these teams and organizations more likely to to get this concept and are we getting closer to this future that you're talking about than we even realize yeah, I'm a big fan of of a lot of things that um Zach
1: Leonsis and his dad are doing um down in Washington. I think that they're very creative. I think Mercedes is getting this way. I think even in Boston, what Delaware North and T D Garden has done, um a big trend is um these mixed Use development entertainment districts, right? Yep. So instead of just having, you know, tickets to the Celtics game, you can go to Top Golf, you can go to Banners, you can go to all these different locations around the garden and have different experiences. So if the game sucks or the game starts late or there's a rain out in, you know, Fenway, the idea is that there's enough stuff going on around the venue that you can have these different fluid fan experiences. You can go be social. You can hang out at the Fantasy Zone. You can go, um, you know, have a big screen experience and just be in a, you know, sports book with tons of screens all around you. That's what these stadium groups are are starting to understand. And, you know, it's the Jurassic Parks, you know, in Toronto where you can actually sit outside and almost like a drive-in have an outdoor experience while the game's going on inside. These are all examples of accommodating a fluid fan who may want a different type of experience than sitting in a seat and watching the court. So I, I can tell you that the ownership groups are getting younger. Yeah. The, ownership, the ownership groups are coming from the tech sector.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and all of those things are um, accelerating some of this innovation.
0: I love to hear that because it is pretty cool. For me, growing up and going to the Boston Garden as a kid or going to Fenway Park as a kid, you sat and watched the game, you know. And, and then now that I'm going to stadiums and seeing different experiences, and it's like, oh, they got this cool bar set up over here, and they've got this cool thing you can do this way, and you can, and they're not expecting you to just, you know, get your the, the usher to check your ticket before you walk into your area and sit there the, the entire time. They're just really doing a, a better job of understanding the, I don't know, the new persona, the new sports fans. It does sound like that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly to see. true.
1: And the digital tickets allow you to move freely around yeah. the venue. They can do that more securely. They they have a better crowd intelligence, so they can see where you are. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's just it's getting smarter. It's, right. uh, and we we like to say that the the stadium is becoming more like a smart city. Yes. Um, where we're starting to experiment with some of this technology, paying with your face, a lot of facial payment stuff is going to be happening. <laughs> um, so there's there's a lot of promise in in the way that the industry is responding to
0: this I probably shouldn't have giggled but playing with your face playing with your face just sounds funny so sorry um, so,
1: <laughs> you, can, you can giggle but <laughs> millions and millions of people are doing it in China already and they've yeah. already proven that it works and so it's the idea that you walk up with your uh, with, you know, instead of having your ID and your credit card out, you just look at the bartender. He finds out you probably don't even look at your bar, the bartender. You probably just look at the machine Right? The machine says, Oh, you know, you're a, you're of you're of age and we have your credit card on file with the loyalty program. Go ahead and pour yourself a beer and it gives you
0: exactly, you know, 16 ounces, 12 ounces, whatever it is. And you're off. That sounds fantastic. So, okay. I mean, I'm sure you hear this from your clients all the time. How does this all translate to revenue creation? Because as we talked about earlier in the interview, the, the organizations are very stuck in their models for re- generating revenue. And, you know, there's the typical revenue streams of butts and seats and broadcast deals. Um, how does this shift in approach affect the bottom line? Because I'm guaranteeing these teams and organizations, that's all that matters to them. Like they, if you tell them this is going to make them more money, then they'll probably be more on board than if it's like you're going to be flat or right in the same area. So how does this affect the bottom line?
1: I think we've spent the first three and a half years of our company really defining what we thought was happening around the industry, the trends, the dynamics that were at play. Um, what I feel entirely motivated and responsible to do is work with Angela to figure out how we measure what you just said. Yeah, um, and I think what we need to do is we neither we have to look at this from an acquisition perspective and a retention perspective. Um, We need to be able to show the industry proof points that by letting fans control more of the experience, they acquire fans they wouldn't normally have. That's That's a very simple thing we need to go out and prove, which is if you do X, you will get these consumers to come in and pay attention to your sport. And if you don't do it, they're not engaged. So that's pretty binary. And I think when you start doing new product launches and you test new alt streams, which are ways to experience digital streams of games that aren't like the traditional broadcast, you can start to test whether or not that's working and whether it's a, a promotional blip or if it's like a retention thing, whether these people come, they love it and they're staying and they're not normal sports fans. That's one area of consumer research we need to do, and we're starting to do that now as a company. And the other area that we really need to focus to prove to these folks that it moves the bottom line is we need to show that this keeps the traditional fan engaged longer and in different ways, right? If, if normally all they did was come to a game, we want to be able to show that now they're coming to the game and they're buying merchandise. Now they're coming to the game and they're bringing their kids. Now they're coming to the game in larger groups and that data is out
0: there. We just need to be smart about how we collect it and present it to the uh, cons- uh, our, our customer. Gosh, this is just so smart. Like, I'm not trying to just pander to my guests, but like this all feels like when you talk about it, it's just so logical. Like I sit here thinking about my wife is not a huge sports fan, but if we were going to a game and it was more than just sitting in your seat and there there were these cool experiences and there was this engagement ability and we could sit at the bar for a while and still see the game and all these different things that you can do to make it a totalitarian experience, that would be just so more interesting to a fan like her. that isn't interested in sitting watching and breaking down the X's and O's from the seat, you know? So it just, just seemed so smart. Yeah, she just
1: could go there and sit with her friends and it was really exciting and she said she had a great night out. She didn't care what happened on the ice exactly. or on the court. Like, she just had an awesome time. And exactly. you know, driving revenue—that's—that's that's not a sports-related experience unless it happens at a sports event. Um, you know, otherwise she goes out and you know has wine group with her friends somewhere else. Right. Um, so so there's just a there's a there's a thought here that there's new subscription products, there's new hospitality revenue, and there's new types of merchandise and products that will be available to people who aren't those hardcore fans that want to come in and see two hockey guys punch each other in the face.
0: <laughs> okay, so you wrote this article back in April that we're referencing so much today, but this concept's been around for a while. We talked about how coronavirus has amplified the need for this, but that's always, it's a theoretical process when you say, oh my gosh, now we're going to see what this was really like. Well, now we're two, year, two months further into this. Has any of your perspective changed as you've seen what it really looks like? Like when sports goes away and that main product stream, that revenue stream is gone. Like, are you seeing things a little bit differently or is this just emboldened you even further?
1: Uh, it's just emboldened me even further because some of the knee jerk reactions that these executives have taken by furloughing their staff and laying people off um, shows that they haven't gotten the memo right? The ones that are saying this is our time to start investing, trying new things and, and really moving faster. Um, that's what you would expect in, in a period of crisis where innovation is, is the opportunity and way out of this. Um, those groups that are hunkering down, furloughing their staff and really just waiting Figure out this problem. I've been on so many calls with people that are like, "What are you hearing? What's the government doing? What, what is going to happen next?" I'm like, "Oh my God, you're so you're so in trouble." Like yeah. we we really you know we, I need to be talking to the people that are like the Bundesliga and like certain you know uh, folks that are on our leadership boards that are saying, "Look, we're going to take advantage of everything we can during this period of time," and they're not being opportunistic. They're not being callous. They're not ignoring the hundred thousand people that have died. They're just saying that it's their responsibility in this industry to help the industry come out of this stronger. And the the only thing that I've come out of this is more emboldened that there needs to be different voices, new voices at the table that have that same level of urgency.
0: Yeah, it's time to play offense. It's time to say, actually, I interviewed Ari Kaplan, who's in the baseball analytics side uh, a couple months ago, and he was saying right now. He's busier than ever because these coaches and teams and managers and scouts that are usually so embroiled in the games themselves are looking and saying, okay, we have time now. Let's dig into the data and see how we can get smarter. They want to spend time with the information. They want to get smarter. And I think that's the attitude that a lot of these places and organizations need to have is that there is opportunity through this to say, how do we innovate? How do we get better? How do we get smarter?
1: That's exactly the hope. And yeah. there are those people out there, I don't want it to sound doom and gloom, but there are those people out there that are looking at this opportunity and saying there's information we haven't had time to consume. There's people we haven't had time to speak with and it's time to start thinking differently.
0: This is so fantastic, Josh. Thank you so much for the time. We'll finish up with this. So you and your team at Sports Innovation Lab are clearly taking very different and new views and approaches to the industry, which is exciting. And I guarantee the young creative professionals in our audience are inspired by this type of a conversation. And I know a lot of them out there are also saying to themselves, this is the creative side of the industry that I want to be involved in. So how does someone go about entering your side of the world and saying, I want to be involved in the creative research focused roles and I want to be innovating and thinking towards the future. How does somebody get to that point?
1: My my strongest advice is hone your craft in another industry and then bring it to sports. Um, So whether your ultimate goal is to work in sports or not, it doesn't mean you have to start in sports. Um, My strongest advice would be go start in entertainment, go start in finance, go start in healthcare, understand the discipline that those industries have developed over the years of collecting consumer data, testing products, thinking about market demand and dynamics, And then you can come into sports and you'll be like, wow, this industry thinks they have a right to this consumer that has blinded them as to the market forces that are shifting the industry. And I think if you start somewhere else, hone your skills, and then come into sports, you're not only more valuable to the organizations you work for, you're going to be much more open to accepting new ideas and trying new options that are coming out of the technology world and the innovation sector that could actually help sports move forward.
0: This is so great. Like Josh, I've been hanging on your every word. I've really enjoyed this conversation. There's so much here to get excited about and, and see a future for the sports industry that is dynamic and modern and exciting. And I just, it's, I hope that everyone listening to this gets as excited as I do. So thank you for coming on the show today. Of course, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Josh for being a part of our show and just being so innovative and just driving towards new ideas and concepts and innovation. I, can, I think you all can understand why I brought this episode back. I wanted to play it again. It was because I don't want these concepts to be lost. I don't want these thoughts to be temporary. Like, okay, that was applicable then, but it's not really where we're headed. It is where we're headed. It has to be where we're headed. There has to be a new way of looking at the fan experience. There has to be a new way of looking at the way we build revenue and, and, and design the sports industry for future success. And I think uh, Josh and his team at Sports Innovation Lab are the ones that are going to start to, build this trend that we can all start to walk down. So I wanted to bring that episode back for all you guys to enjoy again and really get that continual value out of cuz I think it's one of the most valuable podcasts we've ever put together. Got a great slate of interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. I'm doing interviews crazy every week getting things set up for a a fresh new concept content wave. So please subscribe, rate, review, be a part of our community. We love having you here. We love sharing this information that can make a difference for you in your sports career. So thanks for listening, everybody. Let's get back to work.